He scores! Gilmore scores! Off the glass, the left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by all Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts! Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Hello, friends. Happy Wednesday. Let's get another hour of Flames Talk underway. It is Wednesday, February 21st with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you on this Wednesday. Hi, Vix. Hello, Patrick. Uh, back in studio here at our Doug Lacey's Basement yeah. Systems downtown studio. It's been a while since we've done a show from here. Uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. So here we are about a week until the end of February. So uh, we're well into February at this point. We are well into the second half of the season at this point. And as we move into, I don't know, I don't know what the official start date of the stretch drive is, but as we move towards the stretch drive in the NHL, I think it's pretty clear what's going on in the heads of this team and and what the collective mindset of this team is right now. By the way, we're available wherever you get your podcasts, live on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Thanks for being along with us. So... Here's my read on it, and I'm, I'm curious if, if you picked up on anything similar. But I think everyone in that room has now come to terms with where this thing is going. I think they have come to terms with the change that has already happened. They've come to terms with the fact that change is still coming between now and the trade deadline. I think everyone in that room knows this team will look different in the next couple of weeks. And I think that they are prepared mentally for that change. And they know that there are going to be at least two other departures, potentially more between now and the deadline. But you also get the sense that they're ready to keep this playoff push going, that they are very much dialed in on doing that. You get the sense they're motivated by the lack of belief that they perceive on the outside. And I'm not saying from everybody, because I know if you're listening right now, there's you know there's a decent chance that, that if you're listening, you do have belief. And there's also a decent chance that, you know, if you're listening, you maybe don't. And that's fine, but it's not like every Flames fan in this city is completely written off on their chances of making the playoffs sitting three points back. I think we all realize it's still an uphill climb, but I think there is a lack of belief in some circles and, and that group of people is very vocal. And so I think that there is a little bit of motivation that they are deriving from that. And who knows, Vix, if they trade Hannafin and Tanev and, and maybe Markstrom Maybe that's just too much to overcome to get into the playoffs. Maybe just the the raw facts are going to be too much to overcome, and, and that's going to be too much of an uphill climb. I don't know. But all this talk of rebuilding and all this talk of team tank, you get a very palpable sense that these guys want none of that. I think I think that talk motivates them. I think it motivates them and drives them to prove people wrong, to prove management wrong, to prove themselves right. And even if they're whether they're willing to admit it or not, I absolutely believe that there is uh, a lot of that going on right now with this group. Yeah, it seems like the only lack of belief around this team is coming from the outside. I've certainly not picked up on anything internally to this point. 
at the same time, there does seem to be a general acceptance that change is coming over the course of the next couple of weeks. And as you get closer and closer to that March 8th NHL trade deadline, that becomes more and more of a reality. I think they've been prepped on it based on the fact that Nikita Zadorov has already been moved, that Elias Lindholm has already been moved. I think the only uncertainty remaining within the group is how many guys are out the door. And I think we can firmly anticipate at least two on the blue line that'll be moved out. But to circle back to the belief point, players don't give a damn who's here and who's not when it comes to their desire to stay competitive. Whoever's in the lineup isn't, or whoever's not in the lineup for the flip side, isn't going to dictate the belief inside the room of, oh, we are going to throw our hands up now because we're past the trade deadline and we're down two or three guys. That's not how certain players in that room are wired. I would largely blanket statement that that's not how the strong majority of them are wired, but you're not going to be able to tell the likes of a Blake Coleman or Nazem Kadri that they're supposed to be waving a white flag because he made some moves in, in advance of the trade deadline. That's just not how they're built. Yeah. And they're the most recent examples of hoisting the Stanley Cup in that Calgary Flames locker room. You're not going to be able to tell players like that that they're supposed to be giving up and not chasing a playoff spot when they're only three points back because you're going to make some prudent moves ahead of the trade deadline. I'm curious how the text line feels about this and, and want to play you a couple of things in just a second, but I'm curious as to how the text line feels and, and how they feel about this conversation. Because I'm telling you, the team tank talk and the full blow it up rebuild talk and being bad for good I think it makes guys in the room angry. And I'm not, not angry at you for thinking that way, but more like they hate hearing it. They hate the idea of that ever being part of the conversation for them because they have no interest in it. I know they're all millionaires. I know they're all one percenters. I get that. But they got to that point because of how much they care about winning. They the Yes, they have to be extremely gifted physically and they have to have skill and and attributes that the normal human like Pat or Aaron or you don't have to get to the point of being one of the best athletes on the planet there are there are things that have to go along with it but part and part of that is a drive and part of that is a competitive level that is higher than the average human yeah. being as well you don't you don't go through what they put their bodies through unless you're driven by that and unless and because there are so few collect a paycheck guys in this league i know it's something that a, a lot of people fall back on well he looks like he's just out there collecting a paycheck or he's just going through the motion or he got his big contract and he I don't believe that exists anywhere near to the extent that sometimes it's talked about. And so your point is very valid, whether it's a veteran like Blake Coleman or Nazem Kadri, whether it's somebody a little bit younger like uh, Rasmus Anderson or Andrew Mangiapane, Like I don't think any of these guys are interested in it. And I think that the, the talk about it pisses them off. I think they, you know, they, they were to remove themselves. I think they understand why that talk exists. I think that's one of the things that drives them right now is doing everything in their power, whatever that is, to not have it go in that direction. Can you imagine going up to Jacob Markstrom and just being like, hey, it's okay that puck got by you because eh, if we win, we win. And if we lose, that's okay because it gets us a higher draft pick. I can only imagine 
the death stare that he would give you with those words coming out of your mouth. Like that would be one of the scariest one-on-one availabilities, I think, that would exist around the Calgary Flames. Telling a guy as competitive as Jacob Markstrom, eh, yeah, you, it's okay to lose at this point. Like that's just not how a lot of the individuals are wired and you don't make it to the NHL by being, eh, okay, not competitive, I guess would be the, the way I would put it. I just want to play you a couple of clips from what we were able to generate on on Tuesday. So we were at the uh, Flames Ambassadors Celebrity Poker Tournament, which we'll get you some more information about a little bit later on. Another rousing success yeah. at the Deerfoot Inn and Casino. And just li- listen to a couple of these comments. And, and these weren't necessarily like, this was not Vix and Steinberg digging or or leading or mining this kind of in both cases this just came up somewhat very conversation yeah just in in when talking about things as they are right now and and how things are going so i want to play this this is about a 90 second clip from our conversation with rasmus anderson um it's actually taken from about a two and a half minute clip but it's the last 90 seconds of the clip he first talked about how uh, actually, you know what? I think this is the entire clip, actually. I think I have the whole thing here. Um, but nothing here is edited. This is just uh, a train of thought from Rasmus Anderson when he sat down with us on Tuesday afternoon. Nobody ever likes, you know, being talked about in, in trade stuff. And uh, and especially, you know, when you're an older guy, when you have family and kids and that kind of stuff, you, you, you think about the bigger bigger picture. And and you, you, you don't want to be around that noise and um, I think we've done a good job as a team just to you know take it game by game and day by day and uh, not get too far ahead of ourselves you obviously everyone knows when the deadline is and all that kind of stuff and uh, you know with the with the way uh, NHL works um, with you know expiring contracts and that kind of stuff and uh, but I think we as a team we're just we're trying to be in the present and we're trying to do we try to focus on the task we have ahead of us, not look too far ahead, and uh, I think we've done a good job of that. Obviously, you know, we'd like to have some more wins at this point and uh, be in a playoff spot, obviously. But um, you know, there's still there's still a lot of hockey left, and yeah. anything can happen. And um, you know, it keeps coming back to me all the time. But you know, you, you see with Florida last year, you know, anything can happen once you get in, and um, and that's just the mindset we have that. Um, we don't really care about you know the outside or if there's a deal being done. Uh, we try to win the next game, and uh, you know none of us will ever, especially the older guys, will be okay with us you know rebuilding or whatever the word is. And um, we want to push for that playoff spot, and we will always do that. Like that. First of all, lots of good stuff there. Rasmus uh, spoke to the media after practice on Wednesday. He came right out, and I was standing in my usual spot off to the side. He goes, uh, you're feeling pretty pr- proud about yourself, hey, about all the good stuff you got from me. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah. Was, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I was bit. like, yeah, I'm on cloud nine. Anyway. Um, Did but- that bump you to number one? No, oh. I, I don't. I don't even. I don't even try. As long as I'm not last on any list, I'm happy. That's fair. That's fair. Um, the uh, that last part, like that. I'll play it one more time. Especially the older guys will, you know, none of us will ever, especially the older guys will be okay with us, you know, rebuilding or whatever the word is. And um, we want to push for that playoff spot and we will always do that. That's pretty telling, isn't it? Like he just straight up said, I have no interest. Older guys, veteran guys, guys with hundreds of NHL games under the belt. 
They don't have any interest in rebuilding. We, we don't want to see the team go through that. I know it's out of their control in some ways, but the mindset isn't going to shift. At no point, regardless of what trades have happened or are going to happen, is Rasmus Anderson going to switch his mindset and say it's okay to lose, it's okay to not care, it's okay to not lay it out there every shift. And, and I don't think that mindset's going to change at any point here between, and nor should it. It's why these guys are where they are. They're wired this way. I couldn't, even if I had the physical ability, <laughs> I don't think my mind could ever be wired the way that these guys are because they are such driven individuals. You can't just turn that off. It's not like Jonathan Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, Nazem Kadri signed long-term deals to be with the Calgary Flames to ride out two, three, four, five years of a rebuild, whatever it's going to take, with no guarantee that it actually works. As we've seen numerous examples where blowing it completely up doesn't necessarily lead to success on the other side. You can't imagine a guy like Blake Coleman or Jacob Markstrom who have signed prior but still have term remaining. Same with Rasmus Anderson, who's going to be due for an extension in a couple of years. Can't imagine any of them are eager at the thought of stripping it right down to the studs and removing every sort of competitive player that you have on your roster for the sake of a higher draft pick. So it's telling when Rasmus Anderson says, quote, none of us will be okay with rebuilding. And that is sort of an internal look, but also the challenges on those guys that I just mentioned and others to ensure that the Calgary Flames every time they hit the ice, have a chance to win, have a chance to push. They're in the thick of a wild card chase. They're only three yeah. out with aspirations of climbing higher. You're never going to convince that veteran core that the rebuild is the way that they should be going because they're just too competitive on that front. You mentioned Blake Coleman's name. He was singing a very similar tune with us when he sat down with us. I want to be on that stage. I want to play the, the games that matter. You know, it's, it's really hard to play on teams where... Um, it's just kind of, it doesn't matter. They're building for the future. And, yeah. and, and Connie's done a great job of, of keeping that vision while building for the future. Like, I feel like he's done a really good job coming in and, and saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get younger and we're going to get, you know, uh, faster, younger, whatever it is, but, but also keeping us really competitive and, and finding ways to win games. And, um, you know, for me, I just, I want to play in the playoffs. I'm at that stage of my career where. That's what it's all about, and, and uh, I feel like everybody on our team has that vision, and you know we're, we're right there, and we can all taste it. Like, they're okay with the deals. They're okay. You know, Rasmus Anderson said it at the beginning of his clip, like, I we understand how the business works, expiring contracts, all that type of stuff, but that doesn't mean the players that remain or the players that are acquired. You know, a perfect example, I know I always use Nashville, but a perfect example is from Nashville, Tyson Berry was the guy who got dealt from a team with Stanley Cup aspirations to the Predators. Like, Berry went from a team that was fighting for a division title to a team that was on the outside looking in. And Berry is credited by many in Nashville as getting there and just infusing a new enthusiasm. Like, Yes, you're obviously, you go from a team like Edmonton that had cup aspirations last year and you're playing the number one or number two power play there and you're like, now all of a sudden you're fighting and clawing to get into the playoffs and not guaranteed to get there. That that obviously isn't the greatest change, but 
everybody talks about how Tyson Berry got there and his drive was one of the things that that rubbed off on so many guys in that room. And after, you know, Grandland and, and Nita Ryder and Jeannot and Ekholm were out, all of a sudden, I think he was the only NHL body that came back in any of the deals. It was like, yeah, but Barry's here. He did, he's still, this guy still wants to win even after the trade. And so I guess my point is, is that the players that remain and potentially players that are brought in, yeah, they're, they're going to want to, prove people wrong, prove their former team wrong, prove doubters wrong, prove themselves right, all that type of stuff. Well, and I think that's why some of these veteran players are very understanding of the approach that Craig Conroy has to take. Like Rasmus Anderson said, as you mentioned, and he mentioned, sometimes it's just the business with pending unrestricted free agents. But they also have to appreciate the fact that the return on Tyler Toffoli brought in Sharon Govich, who's on the top line. The return for Elias Lindholm brought back Kuzmenko, who's on the top line. Like, these aren't full sell-off moves where it's like, just give me all your futures and we'll sort it out in three or four years' time. If I'm a player in that room still trying to ice a competitive product and still not looking back at who's gone, but looking forward to what you have to do to get into the playoffs, to a degree, you have to be appreciative of the fact that you're getting NHL-ready talent back so that the drop-off, because let's be honest, the best player in the Elias Lindholm deal was Elias Lindholm. And at the time, the best player in the deal for Tyler Toffoli was Tyler Toffoli. But you're still getting players back that can help the veterans that are there achieve their goal of being a competitive team with eyes on the playoffs. Uh, I really encourage you to go listen to both those conversations with Blake Coleman, Rasmus Anderson. They're packaged up for you on our uh, Flames Talk podcast feed. Jacob Pelche, Ryan Huska, exclusive sit-down chats as well from the poker tournament. Always an awesome day. So I guess the question then becomes, do they have it in them to remain competitive? Do they have it in them to do something similar to what the Predators did last year, and that is stay in it right till the very end? I'm curious what the text line says. Text line's buzzing. We'll get there in a second. Do they, after Hannafin is dealt, after Tanev is dealt, and yeah, we're talking about it as inevitable things that will happen as opposed, because I think we all understand and believe that this is going to happen at some point in the next 16 days, Noah Hannafin's going to get traded. At some point in the next 16 days, Chris Tanev's going to get traded, and it'll be an absolute stunner at this point if that's not the case. So can they sneak into the playoffs? Their playoff odds, depending where that where you look, are are kind of fluctuating or or you know, there there's some slight variances, but you know, I always go to Money Puck. Money Puck's got them at just over 13%. They've kind of hovered between Eight and fifteen percent, kind of, you know, in and around ten percent over the last number of weeks is is where those playoff ads odds have have been. Can they sneak in? Or as I said earlier, would a trade of Hannafin, would a trade of Tanev, essentially taking away the top pairing on this team, would that be enough? Would that be too much to overcome if they were to end up dealing Markstrom, which I think is. Less likely. I, I really don't believe there's much going on on that front at all right now. I, I Obviously, it ran hot there, but I, I don't get the sense that there's anything knocking on the door on the Markstrom front at all. So maybe Markstrom, we take it out of the conversation, but even Hannafin Tanev, is that too much to overcome with the Lindholm? You know, with, look, Kuzmenko got demoted to the fourth line on Monday. He was back there at practice Wednesday, but on the, on the, top, on the top line. line. Rather, yeah, yep. but, you know, Kuzmenko has not been it's not like he's come in and taken on the same role that Lindholm has or replaced that in a big way 
Um, maybe it is too much to overcome. I don't know. That's why I'm curious at the text line things. A lot of this, to me, hinges on the future of Jacob Markstrom. And if he's still around, I firmly believe that the Flames can sort of stay in the conversation. If they're able to just keep this thing close until April, I'll be very curious to see how this team does down the stretch. They play nine games in the month of April, and the text line is going to get fired up on this because we know how the Flames Uh have typically played down to their opponent. But of the nine games that they play in April, they have the Ducks twice, the Sharks twice, and Arizona once. The other four games are Vancouver, Winnipeg, Edmonton, LA. So all Pacific Division teams as well. Now, granted, not the same implications for the likes, oh, pardon me, except for Winnipeg, but this implication of Vancouver, Winnipeg, Edmonton, probably not as significant just given to where they are in the standings. But if you can somehow find a way to buck the narrative of playing down to your opponent, there is some certain opportunity early in April in order to get things done. Now, we're still talking about that, sacrificing what you can very easily make as an argument for their top pair in Hannafin and Tanev. And I mean, no disrespect to Jordan Osterley and Dennis Gilbert, but you're talking arguably your top pair out of the lineup. That is a lot of bridge to gap, but I've really liked what I've seen and how Oliver Shillington has come along. And he wasn't necessarily in the picture two months ago when these rumors were going. And to be honest, I've really liked Pahal as well in terms of what he's um, been asked to do for the team. But man, losing that top pair. So to me, my answer is to no, circle back. You have back, nothing close to replacing no. it if they leave, unless you're bringing commensurate talent back, which right. you probably aren't. So my full roundabout answer, it really depends on Jacob Markstrom because I do think he has the talent and he's playing at I a agree. level that he can keep the Flames competitive. Almost on his own. Almost on his own. Yeah. And again, for me, you have to stay in the conversation until the beginning of April, but you have to do something you haven't typically done over the last two seasons. And that is absolutely dominate teams. You should be beating because that April schedule yeah. is looking pretty good for Calgary. Um, here's the text line. Cause I I'm curious. It's like as a flames fan, what do you honestly want this to look like? So I'll, I'll, I'll read you a few texts after what we've just talked about. Some of the things that you've heard. Uh, Dustin and Royal Oak says, my thing is, How is just missing the playoffs again proving anything? In my opinion, if you're going to be bad, be really bad and set yourself for three to four years down the road. And Dustin, I I think that there's something to that. And the only way that you can accomplish that is by subtracting players like Blake Coleman and Rasmus Anderson, which I don't believe the Flames are necessarily prepared to do. And I honestly don't think you can do all of that at a trade deadline. You know, between or, or, or in the span of whatever it is, eight months, from the end of last season or the beginning of June to where we are at the trade deadline. Remember the big seven unrestricted free agents or whatever it was? What are we down to now? Well, we're down to two, and six of them are going to get traded, right? Or whatever. So Hannafin's going to get dealt. Tanev's going to get dealt. Toffoli's been dealt. Zadorov's been dealt. Lindholm's been dealt. Back on the side. So, okay, so five of the six are going to end up being dealt. They've they've done what Nashville did last year. They just have done it in a longer period of time. It's not all at once. So you can't trade everybody, even at a deadline. That's just silly. You're not going to get the assets you want if you trade everybody. Anyway, so I just don't think that anybody inside that room is ever going to be like, you know what, Dustin, and, and this is not a shot at you, Dustin, but like, you know what, 
Dustin Royal Oaks, right? We should just be bad. Like nobody is going to go about their business that way. Do you think the fact that they've done so many moves leading up to the deadline already, like we ran through the list, does it lessen the blow that you're not losing like to Foley, Lindholm, Hannafin, and Tanev all at a, once? It's probably not such a psychological shift, right? It's been more of a gradual thing. Which maybe that speaks to their ability to stay competitive because they've still done it after every trade. They've still managed to put together good games despite the fact that you've lost a key piece and you've lost a key piece, so on and so forth. And it's going to be on them if and when it's Tanev and Hannafin going, whether it's at once or in separate sort of stints, whether they're a week apart or what have you, it's going to be on them to continue to push that forward. Uh, Taylor and Cranston, what's the point of sports if you aren't playing to win? Also totally tired of the trade talk and new rumors all the time. It's like they're stuck in purgatory. Uh, this says, I strongly believe they'll get in once these trades are complete. The compete level's too high and the drive they want to get in with all the doubt is going to make them want it more. Crispy writes, I think off the top of my head, Jake Cutler was the only professional athlete that didn't care about winning. In the NHL, you literally have to either be skilled or be putting in the effort in order to stay in the league. This reads, Team Tank doesn't know what tanking is. Tanking isn't being bad on purpose in this sport. It's impossible, and even if you are bad on purpose, you aren't guaranteed jack. Tanking the right way is building a young roster where you don't have money sunk in stupid places and you're building towards something. It's about asset management, and hey, if you're losing games, collect draft capital on top of it. This reads, at this point, there's no alternative other than to move the guys that aren't staying long-term. Every time they move someone out, it creates an opportunity within the system. Given the cards Conroy's been given, he's playing them smartly. Cam writes, earlier in the season, I was thinking blow it up and start from scratch. Um, in with the younger players. Um, sorry. With the younger players they have on the ice now, I think this is a team of the future. Trade the players that don't want to be here and get some youth and picks. May not be this year, but the future looks bright. Uh, Ken and Red Deer says, I think this team will remain competitive. Too much heart in that room to give up. Uh, this says, if you trade Markstrom, to your point, the Flames are essentially waving a white flag. Flames have no idea what kind of tending they'll get without him. And that is, in a lot of ways, why so much of this does hinge on Jacob Markstrom, because of how good he's been this year. Uh, this reads, Team Tank here. Do I want them to see? Do I want to see them finish last and pick first overall? Yes. Would I be thrilled if they made the playoffs and went on a run? Heck yes. But if these boys are going for the playoffs, they better make it because missing by a single point and having yet another 16th overall pick is not cool. For me, I'm good with either a top 10 pick or an entertaining playoff run. This from Dylan and Revy. Not reading what he actually wrote. I would never want a player on the team who doesn't want to win, ever. That's why I love guys like Raz, Markstrom, and most of the guys on this team. That said, two things can be true at once. The guys don't want to lose, and the team isn't constructed to win. It is what it is, unfortunately. And that goes back to what I was saying. You know, that that's the only way that you can truly go about, quote-unquote, being bad. It's not about, you're not going to ever get guys who are like, yes, let's be bad, I'm cool with that. Um, this says... Um, from uh, Keenan Glamorgan, 
I could be wrong, but I don't think most people on Team Tank actually want to purposely tank. Rather, uh, rather they want a solid long-term plan set in motion for the first time in their fandom. Whether it be a three, four, five, six-year plan, this team needs to build towards sustained success in the future and become a perennial contender. I'm a 32-year-old, lifelong Flames fan, and I've never experienced semi-consistent success. Let's continue to grow the culture of being competitive and trying to win while doing what's necessary now to be a powerhouse in the near future. That kind of feels what they're doing right now, doesn't it? Like they're trying to do just that. Whether or not it's successful or not, we'll wait and see. Absolutely. Like I'm surprised, to be perfectly honest, even given what Craig Conroy said when he took over as general manager, about how much youth we've actually seen, whether it's been a permanent fixture or whether it's been spot duty, a call up here, a call up there, or sort of Dustin Wolf, who's somewhere in the middle, who's come up on several occasions, played and has gone back. The Calgary Flames have... I was just trying to think when you're reading those texts about looking at what would have been the Calgary Flames opening day lineup had they been healthy across the board with Kevin Rooney, Jacob Pelche, so on and so forth. Like There are a couple of those spots that are now filled with rookies that you can pen in for next season. So I think the approach that Craig Conroy's taken with bringing up youth, acquiring future assets, but also bringing in NHL-ready players now has really worked for the Flames to this point anyway. We're still talking about a team that's on the outside looking in, yeah. but I think it's been a positive experience in terms of gathering future assets and still building a culture of we're not just going to roll over. A few more texts. This reads, can you imagine dialing it back to lose on purpose, then trying to ramp it back up when it's time to start winning again? Yeah. No, I can't, especially with these guys. Uh, this reads, the Flames can absolutely still make the playoffs with both D moves. If Markstrom's also dealt, you can't just get picks and prospects for them. Uh, Tanev and Hannafin, there has to be an active roster player somewhere in the mix coming back, which I believe you will see. Uh, this says, unless they stop playing Markstrom, they'll always be in the mushy middle. He's playing too well. And finally, this says, uh, I'm just over here hopeful of meaningful hockey in the near future with a revamped roster and a window wide enough to be good for a long time. Regardless of how they get there, all I care about is that C on the front of the shirt and that players want to be here. Great stuff at 960, 960 on the text line. You know what else was great stuff? Congratulations to the Calgary Flames Foundation and the uh, Flames Ambassadors as they held their 17th annual poker tournament Tuesday and raised a whopping 500 $101,000. That is an absolutely massive haul. I believe the most they have ever raised in one poker tournament. Um, it was amazing. More than 400 other poker participants on top of all the flames who were involved were there. Uh, just an unbelievable afternoon. $501,000 raised for the Flames Foundation. So good job to everybody involved. And uh, make sure you get yourself, if you're interested, with 25th annual about one year's time from now. And by that, not the 25th annual, the 18th running. I don't know where 25 came from. Uh, the 18th running of the Flames Ambassadors Celebrity Poker Tournament about one year's time. Make sure you get in. It is an amazing, amazing event. Check out CalgaryFlamesFoundation.com. We're underway. It's Steinberg and Vickers this hour on Flamestock. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. 
Time now for our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday. Brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport at Steinberg. Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. And now Derek Wills joins us, the voice of the Flames, to um, complete our Wednesday Roundtable. Gents, uh, at practice Wednesday... Lines back to status quo, including uh, Kuzmenko, Sharon Govich, and Huberto back on a line together. The reason I bring that up is because Monday, the Flames started with new lines. They had um, Kuzmenko on the Kadri line with Pospisil for the first period. Then to start the second period, Kuzmenko was dropped to the line with Rooney and Dewar, and Dryden Hunt got the bump up, and they juggled things around. But essentially, in that game, moved to the fourth line was Andre Kuzmenko. But back with Huberto and Sharon Govich at practice on Wednesday. Guys, how do we read that move to the fourth line in Monday's game? Well, I don't think you have to be Sherlock Holmes to get uh, to the bottom of it and to crack this case. Uh, I don't think a coach demotes a player from a first line to a fourth line if they're happy with the way they're playing. So I think it's safe to say that uh, Ryan Huska wants more and needs more from Andre Kuzmenko, and I'm sure he'll get more. Uh, We have to keep in mind that it's uh, probably tough for a guy like him to get traded in the middle of the season. Tough for anybody, but there's a language barrier there and I'm sure he was just getting comfortable in Vancouver and that has to move to Calgary. So I'll cut him some slack for that. But I asked Ryan Husko about it today because you talked about how Jonathan Huberto's game has been on a, a steady incline. And I, I kind of followed that up by asking him about uh, his two line mates. Uh, as you mentioned, that line was back together again today, Pat. So you've got Yegor Sharangovich at center and Andre Kuzmenko on the right with Jonathan Huberto. And Uh, Ryan Huska said exactly what I thought he would say because it's the same way I saw it. Those three guys were really good together in the first couple of games. Uh, They were a good puck possession line, spent a lot of time in the offensive zone, which uh, it didn't hurt that they started uh, way more often in the offensive zone, almost 100% of the time in the offensive zone. So uh, that helps you spend some time there. But that was a really good line for a couple of games and then fell off. So they try something new. They tried moving Connor's area to center, and that didn't really work out. So they went uh, back to him on uh, the left side of that Kadri and the kids line with Nazem Kadri and Martin Pospisil. So uh, after one game apart, they're back together again. And I still think that uh, the skill sets of Huberto and Sharon Govich and Kuzmenko really do complement one another because you've got your best passer in Huberto, and then you've got, I think, your two best shooters in Sharon Govich and Kuzmenko. Now, what I would say is that I don't think Yegor Sharangovich has been as dangerous since moving from right wing to center. So I think for me, guys, it's kind of partly on him to get more comfortable at center. And if that happens, I think his wingers are both going to be better. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, looking forward to seeing if uh, they can find that spark again on Thursday night. Yeah, I sort of use things the same way, Wilsey. It was a not-so-subtle reminder to Kazmanko of the attention to detail Ryan Huska wants out of him. But at the same time... Clearly, it was a temporary sort of setback and not a cause for alarms. Again, we saw Kuzmenko right back on that line in practice on Wednesday, so nothing super crazy. And even Huska game, read into it what you will, but said it's nothing on him and who knows what it will look like the next game. And true to that fact, he's back elevated on that top line. The trio needs more puck possession. That's going to be their bread and butter when they're in the offensive zone and they're going to get peppered with offensive zone starts. So they need to make sure 
that with those offensive zone starts, the puck doesn't go 200 feet back the other way. They need to ensure that if they're going to get the luxury of the quote-unquote easier zone starts, they have to start manufacturing something. And over the course of the past couple of games, to your point, Wilsey, I don't think that they were as effective as they were in the opening two or three games after, pardon me, the trade of Elias Lindholm that brought Kuzmenko to Calgary. They need to do what they do best better than they have over the course of the last couple of games. And I think Kuzmenko can still give better fact remains though. He does have three goals in seven games. And I think you take that all day, but you'd like that line as a whole to be more effective and have more puck possession and be more of a threat offensively because that's going to be their game. They're not going to be put out there to have defensive zone starts and squash the other line, other teams top line. Pardon me that line needs to be the point producing goal producing line for the Calgary Flames. Um, I won't lie. It was, it was a little concerning to see him drop to that line so early in his flames tenure. Like, well, that was only game six or seven or whatever it was seven. Yeah. Like that, that was a little concerning. And the the reason why is because how things were going in Vancouver, you know, Rick Tockett, in the way he wants the Canucks to play yep. and and the defensive responsibilities and the details. Now, there's a lot of similarities in terms of how the Flames want their game plan to be executed. And, you know, Kuzmenko was getting benched and healthy scratched and dropped down the lineup uh, in Vancouver by Tockett. And in Game 7, we, we already saw that happen here. Now, I'm not saying that it means that that's going to continue, but it was a, a little concerning just because it, it is still very early in his Flames tenure, and that's something that had been plaguing him all year long with similar demanding coaches when details are so important. So I like I, I think Kuzmenko is a very dynamic player. I think he's a very exciting player, but I don't think he's he's not the 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 level of skill or game breaking ability isn't to the extent as it is like with a Kaprizov, right? Like Kaprizov Lots of people talk about, yeah, how engaged is that guy defensively? But because, you know what? Puts up him, 100 points. Him floating in the neutral zone, that, that's going to help you win hockey games because he's that dynamic and that dominant and that impactful a player. Kuzmenko's not quite at that level, so you need him to be taken care of to the best of his ability the other side of the game. So that, that would be the only reason why it was concerning because it just has continued a trend that we've seen this season not just here, but also where he was before. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I also think it's important to keep in mind that he is a young NHL player. And when I say that, I'm not talking about his age. I'm talking about the fact that he's played a season and a half, a bit more than that, but basically a season and a half in this league. So there's going to be a learning curve. And he could probably get away with things in the KHL that he simply can't get away with in the NHL. And Rick Tockett obviously held him accountable. And I would say that Ryan Huska's done a great job holding his players accountable all season long. And he hasn't stopped doing that with uh, the newcomer, Andre Kuzmenko. So I think a great opportunity to send him what was a pretty clear message, not only to him, but to, to everybody else by demoting him from the first line to the fourth line. But now I'm anxious to see how he responds to it. And again, guys, it's it's about more than just one player for me. Jonathan Huberto is playing the best hockey he's played since joining the Flames. He's got eight points in the last seven games. He's got 19 points in the last 20 games. And for such a long time, we wished that he would get back to being close to a point-a-game player. Well, 
he's been close to a point of game player for the last quarter of a season. So, you know, he's heading in the right direction. Yegor Sharangovich was playing really well on right wing. But when you lose a guy like Elias Lindholm and you don't have someone you can just plug into that spot, you've got to split up the responsibilities. We've seen Kevin Rooney take over Elias Lindholm's role on the penalty kill. He's out there right beside Michael Backlund on the top uh, forward pairing, uh, killing penalties. So that's been great. But Yegor Sharangovich has been tasked with taking over Elias Lindholm's five-on-five minutes. And I think it's been tough on him. It, it certainly has impacted him offensively. He's not fighting those soft spots like he was. He's not using that wicked one-timer that he's got as often. But he's a young player, and I'm, I'm sure he'll slowly but surely figure it out here. But it's going to be interesting because, again, for two games, that line looked really good. And they looked really good on the road against a really good team in the Bruins and a pretty good team in the Devils. So if they can play at a high level against those groups, then I'm convinced they can play at a high level against other ones as well. So we'll see if uh, Kuzmenko uh, in particular responds to, to the demotion uh, now that he's been promoted again to that top line with Sharon Govich and Huberto. To your point, Patty, about the struggles in Vancouver, that makes me raise an eyebrow with the demotion of the fourth line, but I'm okay at this point in time. The issue I'm going to have is if this is a move that Haska has to pull out every few games in order to reset yeah. Kuzmenko. So the first one's free, but if this starts to becoming a reoccurring trend, then that's cause for concern in my mind. Yeah, I also believe uh, he spent a good chunk of time on the bench in the San Jose game on, what day was that? Was that a Thursday? Um, yeah, last Thursday. Um, I think he also, if I remember correctly, didn't see a lot of time in that game either. So again... I, I'm actually a really big fan of Kuzmenko, and I'm really interested to see where this thing goes. I do like the almost instant chemistry that he and uh, Huberdeau have have found together. And now all of a sudden, for the first time since Jonathan has been a member of the Flames, he there, there's a guy that... Um, there's two guys on his line, rather, that you feel like he vibes with, he meshes with, they play well together. Yeah, Kuzmenko only saw three shifts in the third period of that game against San Jose, too. So there's two recent games where we've seen either a benching or a significant reduction in playing time. And so it is a little concerning, but hopefully, because Ryan Huska went out of his way to to not throw under the bus is the wrong word, but to not publicly talk about it or, or not to publicly point a finger at, I just I, I hope the message gets through because I'm really excited about where this player might go. It's um our yeah. Daily Flames. And, and go, ahead, go ahead. I do I do wonder if he was maybe a little bit worn out. Keep in mind, he got traded and then flew from Vancouver to Calgary and then Calgary to Boston, and then there was that four-game road trip and then back to Calgary again. So – now, maybe he was just trying to catch his breath a little bit, but uh, you're right, Pat. He's a pretty dynamic player, so I'm anxious to see how he responds and uh, if he continues to learn, because I still think that even at his age, he can continue to to grow his 200-foot game. Uh, the Canucks are at a different stage than the Flames right now, and we're only to be patient with them, but... Flames, I think, can be patient with them. So we'll see where it goes. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Aaron, and Pat on this Wednesday Flames Talk. Well... We, we saw what the Flames did to the Boston Bruins uh, a couple of weeks ago to return from the All-Star break. That was just over two weeks ago. They went into Boston and, you know, saved for like three or four minutes in the third period. Pretty one-sided en route to a 4-1 victory. Now, 
taking nothing away from Calgary's outing, which was very solid and a really nice 60-minute campaign. It was also just putrid for Boston. They were like the unforced errors and the way they played made it look that much more one-sided. So they're next up. They're into the dome on the second half of a back-to-back, however. Uh, How much stiffer a test do we expect the Bruins to present on Thursday night? A much stiffer test. Uh, They will not forget what happened in that game at TD Garden. That is uh, a team that has been as good at home as anybody over the last couple of years. Remember that uh, run they went on last season uh, en route to the President's Trophy. I mean, they've been almost unbeatable in that building. So to get beat as badly as they did, as soundly as they did, losing 4-1, Uh, I'm sure that uh, stung Patrice Bergeron's old group. And uh, it's amazing to me that they've been as good as they have been with old Bergeron and David Krejci. uh, I think I was told I had uh, nine guys who were regulars last year that weren't back this year. So I give the Bruins a lot of credit. Second in the Atlantic Division, tied for second in the Eastern Conference, tied for third in the NHL's overall standings. They've been one of the best teams in the league so far this season. So I think they're going to be a lot better when the two teams meet up for the second time this season. But, hey, this is a Flames team that has been Jekyll and Hyde, and they've been Dr. Jekyll against good teams and Mr. Hyde against bad teams. So I am expecting the Flames to give the Bruins a good game uh, at Scotiabank Saddledome on Thursday night, and uh, we'll see if it's good enough to, to sweep the season series. I'm interested interested to see what Bruins team shows up against the Calgary Flames because there's a couple of circumstances I'm just going to quickly highlight. They'll be coming in on the second of back-to-backs. They play at the Edmonton Oilers on Wednesday night. Yep. But it's not like there's a weak backup goalie they're going to be fed. They've got two of the best goaltenders yep. in the league, so you can park that one. But they're also down Hampus Lindholm, too, now with an undisclosed injury. So you're talking about one of their top defensemen being out of the lineup. Since the All-Star break, which was kicked off by that loss to the Flames, the Boston Bruins have lost five of seven. And they're four, four, and two in their past ten overall. That uh, seven game mark, two, three, and two over that span. So a couple of overtime losses, but still five of seven for the Boston Bruins coming in on the second half of back to backs down their number two defenseman. I think it's an opportunity for the Calgary Flames. Now, having said that, for all the reasons Wilsey just kind of laid out about not being too happy about their performance against the Flames a couple of weeks ago. I'm interested to see what Bruins team we see at yeah. Scotiabank Saddledome on Thursday. Sounds like Swayman will go against the Flames. Sounds like I thought Allmark, Swayman was going tonight. Uh, I, last I checked, Allmark was in okay. the starters net for the Bruins uh, on on Wednesday morning. At least uh, the the goalie sites all have that. So um, maybe it's we'll get one of Swayman or Allmark. They're both good. Yeah, yeah. they're both quite good. Uh, they're both well above 500. Um, but here's the interesting part, you know. And this is not again. I'm not. I'm not trying to take anything away from the Flames. I all, I actually think this is something that over the next little bit here is going to help them in their quest to make the playoffs. Wilsey, earlier this hour, we played a clip from Rasmus Anderson, played a clip from Blake Coleman, read a ton of texts, spent the first half of the hour talking about how you know. Rasmus Anderson told us point blank, none of us want to rebuild. And Blake Coleman said, you know, we like what Connie's doing, but, you know, you don't want to be a team that is just playing out the strings. So they, this group is dialed on trying to make the playoffs. Whether they make it or not, we'll see. But the, there, there is a very, very singular approach, and they believe everything is still on the table for them to accomplish. And so I really think circumstance is something the Flames can take advantage of because 
I think Boston took them lightly a couple weeks ago. I think that the Bruins are a team that's a geez, that's a Flames team. Look at all the I, I look at all the transition they're going through and who's going to get traded. I think they probably took them lightly to a little bit uh, to a certain extent. And I also think that because of where the Flames sit in the standings, you're not going to have marquee teams who know they're going to the playoffs look at them as teams and say, okay, we got to get up for the Flames, which is to Calgary's advantage because they've done a pretty good job, save the two games to start this homestand, where they've they've been on their game and they've played pretty close to 60-minute efforts. And so I, I think of Winnipeg. For instance, Winnipeg comes in after an emotional win in Vancouver on Saturday. That was in battle of the all-Canadian matchup, Hockey Night in Canada, top two teams in the Western Conference. They probably came into Calgary, yeah, easy 3-1 lead, and there's a letdown, right? And Boston is playing Edmonton, one of the hottest teams in the NHL. McDavid, Dreisaitl in their building, and they come into Calgary, a team that's you know selling at the deadline. I just think the Flames have a really good uh, opportunity here to catch teams off guard, to take advantage of teams who might overlook them, and to use their strength to their advantage. And that strength right now is is for the first time all year being able to more often than not, going back to our Kuzmenko conversation, if he can rise the challenge, roll four lines. Definitely right now, before Tanev and Hannafin are out the door, they're rolling three pairings, and they're getting outstanding goaltending from number 25. So I, I, it feels like whether it's the Bruins on Thursday or the Oilers on Saturday, I just I, you feel like the Flames have an opportunity to really catch some teams off guard, punch them in the mouth a little bit, and just keep on sticking with their plan and seeing how it plays out. And that's what I'm really interested to, because I'm, I'm quite with you guys. I'm really interested to see what Bruins team shows up on Thursday and really interested to see if the Flames can continue doing what they've been doing more often than not. Yeah, I'm not sure I see it the same way, Pat. I'm not sure the Flames are going to surprise the Bruins again because... Uh, their first meeting wasn't that long ago, and that was a bit of a butt kicking. And I'm not sure that they're going to catch the Oilers with a B or a C. Maybe the maybe the Oilers, but they I I truly believe they did against Winnipeg and they did against Boston last oh, yeah. time. I just don't think that they're going to do that against the Bruins or the Oilers coming up. That's all. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'll be wrong. But uh, you know what? Uh, that game against the Bruins, I thought the Flames played a great game at TD Garden, but. I don't think I've ever seen David Pasternak fight the puck like he did that night. Yeah. He looked like he was still yeah. on his all-star break. And even uh, Brad Marchand wasn't, uh, outside of drawing a couple of penalties, uh, I think he drew nine minutes. In yeah, with his that game, face. Is, he didn't even really yeah, do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty impressive, but he wasn't very good outside of that. So I think those two guys are going to be better. But, hey, you look at the way the Flames played on that road trip. Uh, in games against the Bruins, Devils, Islanders, and then even the final 40 minutes of their only loss on that road trip versus the Rangers, they were right in that hockey game, gave up an empty netter to lose 2 nothing. And then you look at how they played against a really good team in the Jets uh, to snap uh, a three-game losing streak. When they play the right way, they can beat anybody in this league. And I'm not saying I would pick them to win a seven-game series against some of these top teams, but they've proven that they can play up to their competition and We'll see if they can do that again on Thursday Thursday night. Thank you, Wilsey. We will uh, see you at the Dome on Thursday morning.
Okay, guys. See you then. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable, and that'll start to wrap things up this hour. Thanks to uh, Shan and Cam, our producers, this hour as well. And the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you, as always, by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.